Welcome to C3 Church Tabra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Bill Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. Give it up to the podcast listeners. This is for them. This is for us. A sermon I preached probably some time ago, but I thought it would be great almost as a parting gesture. I think we've got a couple more weekends left, but I want to talk about fresh faith uh, for 2016. Uh, I want to talk about what happens when you get faith that ignites people's hearts. We used to listen to a song called It's Hard to Be a Saint in the City. It's by Bruce Springsteen, and it goes way back to the early 70s. And it's true, it really is hard to be a saint in the city. Um, Not only just in a uh, a physical way or a secular way, but it is hard to be a saint in the city in a spiritual way. Because in the city, people are getting ripped off all the time. Is that right? And God, you know, the enemy is still ripping people off, but in the spiritual realm. It's the kind of stealing that's going on in many lives, and it's more serious, more serious. Satan is in the business of ripping things off for more important things, meaning it's his nature to rip people off, to rip us off. The Bible says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan obviously doesn't want just things. He just doesn't want our tractor, and he's not interested in your stuff, even your clothes. He's a spiritual being. He can't wear your clothes but he's very interested in stealing spiritual treasure. Things that have a value with God, this is for someone in the house tonight, things that have a value with God and are of eternal significance. Say eternal significance. Take, for example, this, the very purpose for living. Satan loves snatching people out of life, off the streets, who have potential, and turning them into glassy-eyed wanderers with no goal day to day. Is this, is this, can you see people like that? out? I, I see people in and around where we live and, and down the shops. They're, they're, they're glassy-eyed wanderers. They're, they may be on drugs, I'm not sure, but they have no glean in their eye. They have no purpose in their life. They turn to drugs and alcohol because they don't have a clue why they're on this planet. Others turn to career achievements or pleasure or materialism. Anything to fill the void, but it doesn't work. Say it doesn't work. God created us to worship. Who loves worshiping in the house? And you just, after a while, you, you, you do get traction in this stuff whereby if you exercise faith and you're worshiping intentionally and you can imagine Christ high and lifted up, seated at the right hand of the Father, there really it really gives you a spark. It really blesses you in your heart of hearts, in your soul. It prospers you, and it's amazing. God created us to worship Him and enjoy Him forever. Say, enjoy Him forever. But people are not even aware of that. Their conscience has been dumbed down. Notice the progression in John 10.10. Satan's first move is just petty larceny. Once he manages that, he can move on to actual killing. And from their mass destruction, steal, kill, and destroy. But it all starts with stealing. 
And then I thought about, what about our first love? What about our first love? Even amongst Christians, the devil has a strategy to rob us, to thieve from us. And as a pastor, I've seen over the years how people can lose their first love in Jesus. You know, there was a time when they, when they loved Jesus with all their heart. Their appetite for God's word was ferocious. Uh, their love for God's house was enthusiastic. Our eagerness to spread the gospel was, was amazing. They were talking about it. Yes, they still love God. Yes, they still go to church. But what happened to all that energy and passion? I'm giving you a clue of how we have existed and how we've survived over 20 years, church. Is that okay if I do that tonight? That's the problem Jesus addressed with the Ephesian church in Revelations 2, 2, 2, 2, 5. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You've forsaken the first love. Say first love. Verse five, consider how far you have fallen. Repent, key word, repent, and do things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Where did that first love go? Where did the burning embers of our devotion to Christ go? Where did that intensity go? Did it just evaporate? Or does Satan steal the burning embers of our love for him, the devotion, the consecration to him? Did Satan steal that somehow? I don't know. You have to understand this, that. You have to understand this, that, well, some people would say, Look, I got saved when I was a teenager, man. I was quite enthusiastic then. I've settled down a bit. I'm a little bit more, bit more sensible. But does that really come into play? Does that really come into play? Does anyone really believe that? The Bible says God's plan for us is that we be, 2 Corinthians 3.18, be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Something should be happening on the inside that is constantly rebooting us, energizing us, blessing us, recovering us, mobilizing us, energizing us. Am I excited enough right now for you? Something unto him who is able to do more exceedingly abundantly according to his power that is at work within you. Can you honestly just meander through your Christian life and say, no effect? No effect. No. You've you, you got to have faith to believe that when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of, ma the first major statement he says, after being a carpenter, making furniture and being a, just an ordinary citizen, the first major statement he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning the reality of, of my purpose for you, my will for you, and the reality of heaven to this earth to reconstruct it, reformat it, ref reformation and redemption and everything is in it, to recover it, to bless it, to heal it, to prosper it, is there, beckoning you. Not just at church, but wherever you go. The kingdom is there. You just have to have faith to believe that God can bless you in your car, in your lunchtime, in your waking, and you're going down at the end of the day. That if you have faith to believe that when you read the Bible, 
that it will have a supernatural effect on your life to recover you from, from sadness, from depression, whatever. But if you have no faith, if your faith is bland, if it's not living, if it's not dynamic, it doesn't quite work. There's no retirement plan, by the way. God can keep his people on fire, sharp and intense. Amen? Is that good news? But I tell you this, we need to admit that if we have lost our first love, we need to admit to that and we need to stop conning ourselves that, and we need to realize the master thief has ripped us off. Let's talk about the faded calling. I've seen that. How about the unique calling that rests on each one of us to serve God, to serve this church, the gifting to serve others in the name of the Lord. Years ago, you might have had a stirring in your heart. Alas, but you got discouraged. The devil is always trying to rob us of something God blessed us with. When he succeeds, the spiritual gifts begin to fade. And the material things occupy our attention 24-7. Say 24-7. Then he comes into our home and he rips our homes off. Home burglaries, we call it. Then, and then he breaks in and he's destroying marriages and he's getting to our kids and kids are sick and kids are getting bullied at school and whatever. And, but most of all, I want to talk about this. He rips our faith off. Where did our faith go? Where did our faith go? A silent theft of the most crucial element in our spiritual walk. Say, our faith. What is faith? It's our total dependence on God. It's upon God. It's a supernatural thing. It very much is a relinquishing of control and mistrust and wavering and a double-minded mind and saying, God, I depend on you. I trust in you. I believe in you. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm relinquishing my mistrust, my control over my life, and I'm simply saying, Jesus, you are mine. I lift up my hands, I worship you, and I say, God, lead me, guide me, encourage me, bless me, protect me, provide for me, lead me on, God. It's as dramatic as that, absolutely as dramatic as that. You've been blessed? People with faith, who are they? They develop a second kind of sight. They see more than just the circumstance. They see God right in the middle of that thing. Can they prove it? Probably not. But by faith, they are unshakable. They know it to be true. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, It is impossible to please God. Nothing else counts if faith counts is missing. There's no other Christian, there's no other foundation for Christian living other than the faith that we stand on and rely on. We must believe in God wholeheartedly. Some people have gone about praying about anything, even their lost glasses, car park spaces, whatever it is, but they, they don't any longer, but they, they still believe. But their vibrant trust in God, who still believes, who prays for car parks? Who prays for, you know, who prays for car parks and traffic and just ordinary things? I mean, we, Julie and I still haven't lost that. We, we began to do that when we first started our Christian journey, but we're still doing it. They aren't saying, come on, let's go after this problem in the name of the Lord. They've been robbed of that. 
an obscure story in uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel, that speaks of this matter. And, and it's a great story. I love it. It's one of the low points in David's life. He's a young conqueror. He's killed the giant uh, Goliath, and, and, and he's on the run from Saul. He's supposed to ascend and be king of Israel, but it hasn't happened. He's been hiding a lot of close calls. Saul's tried to take him out. He's been living with the Philistines. He's actually joined the opposition, and he's hanging out there. The opposition says, yeah, this guy's special. Let's just let him hang out. Somehow, he builds this... Um, Somehow he, he creates this little city, uh, Ziglag. It's, he sets up a place called Ziglag. And, but then the Philistines decide that we, we're going to go to war against the, uh, the, Israels, uh, the Isra Israelites. And, uh, and then David, he's a warrior. They, and David says, yeah, I'm into that. Look, I want to prove myself faithful to you guys. But uh, some of the Philistine generals say, no way. We're not letting David join us. He's not going to join us. He, the famous son-in-law of King, King Saul, what are, what are you talking about? King Akish says, in, in David's defense, he says, no, his loyalty is with us. Let him come. No way. He's not coming with us. So David and his militia, they set back home. They go back home to go to Ziglag. Their family's back there. All their possessions are back there. So they're riding back. There's about 600 mighty men and David. They're riding. Then they get over the hill. They see this smoke and they realize, oh my goodness, what has happened? A marauding raiding party has ripped us off. And they've not only taken our possessions, they've taken our wives, they've taken our children, they've taken everything. And the mighty, David's mighty men turn like that and they say, David, it's all because of you and why are we even out here anyway, out in this place? You know, why are we serving God and serving you? And we should have been home looking after our family. Does that ring a bell with anyone? 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 6 says, then comes this wonderful phrase, 1 Samuel 36 says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him, stoning the pastor. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in his God. But David found strength in his God. When at the bottom, when things were falling apart, he must have gotten quiet, he must have prayed, he must have gathered himself before God. And, and get this, guys, no matter what happens, no matter what falls apart around you, no matter what happens, what collapses around you, whoever rejects you, whoever slanders you, God is able to encourage you. God encouraged David. He can help you just like he helped David. He will strengthen you deep, deep in your heart. I know it to be true. He's done it for me. He's, done, he's doing it for David in this story. So he gets his poise back. He gets his spiritual equilibrium back, I guess. And David goes to the priest for a consultation. And the priest says, David, this is what you got to do. You got to, and David was walking in grace again. He always consulted God on the, he never usually shot from the hip. He always consulted God. When he didn't consult God, he got into trouble. But 1 Samuel 30 verse 7 says, this is, what he, this is what he realized he needed to do for his next move. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of the Amimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And verse 8, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party, he's asking. Will I overtake them, pursue them, he answered. You will, and the priest says, Pastor Julie says, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in this rescue. So that's good news. So David gets on his horse, and David realizes 
oh my goodness, so God's just not my creator, he's not my, just not my stronghold, he's not my, just my fortress. God is a recoverer of stolen goods. I love this story. This was the day that David found out that God is more than a creator. He's more than a rock or a strong tower. David calls him in some of the Psalms. God is more than a protector from King Saul in his hiding. David learned the powerful truth that God recovers stolen property. He has a way of getting back what's been ripped off. That's for someone tonight. When the enemy steals, God is able. God is able to recover. And here's the best part. David discovered that every wife, every son, every daughter was still alive. Amazing, not even one lamb was gone. Listen to this, check this out. 1 Samuel 30 verse 16 says, he catches up with this Egyptian, it's a bit of a story, let's cut to the chase and this Egyptian leads them to the raiding party. He led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the hand of the, the, the land of the Philistines and from Judah. Verse 17, David fought them from dusk until the evening. Sometimes you've got to fight for your life. You've got to fight for what belongs to you until, until the evening of the next day. And none of them got away except for 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David, verse 18, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing. Nothing was missing. Nothing was missing. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. We took back what the enemy stole from us. What a victory! In addition to all the recovered goods, David and his army captured an impressive amount of Amalekite goods. So when they marched back to Ziglag, there was surplus. Say surplus. Everyone was praising God. They were shouting, look what God has given us. They came back and they retrieved what was lost, but they even had even more. It's a great Old Testament story. The crucial point to this is that God can get back what belongs to you your calling, your purpose, your smile, your faith. I wanna talk about your faith tonight. He can get that back for you. For what? For the sake of you, your family, your marriage, your children, for the sake of your church. We need you to get that faith back. In the name of the Lord, you need to go after it and say, I'm coming after my calling. I'm coming after my potential life. Satan, you're going to give me back my property. Come on, let's say that. Satan, you're gonna give me back my property. My calling, my purpose, my friendships, my zeal for God, my faith in God, my hope in God, my love in God, Satan, cough it up. It's mine right now. Just remember, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, principalities and powers. Our weapon is faith and prayer. If you don't resist him, he'll rip you off every week. He's not sentimental about it. He doesn't care if he rips you off all day long. He will just keep doing it. 
Jesus wants you to have that abundant life. He wants you to recover that thing, that, 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 that situation in your life. He wants you to recover that marriage, that financial, that, 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 that precious daughter, that, that son that, that, that God's given you. He wants you to re- take it back, to recover it, recover that which the enemy stolen. You need to get your faith back. Say, say this, Lord, I want my faith back. Talking about vibrant faith. Say that. Lord, I'm talking vibrant faith. Not just mental ascension to you, God. I want my faith back. I want to believe that you can make a difference in my life and others. See, Satan wants to snatch your faith because why? It says in Romans 1.17, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. If he takes your faith, It's going to be hard to feel righteous. He knows that without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, 6. He knows that real faith is our lifeline to grace and power. He knows that our real faith, our vibrant faith, our living faith is our access. It's our connection to his grace and power. He knows that without living faith, our prayers are not a force to be reckoned with. Can I tell you this, the prayers of this church, how it got here today, is because of faith, ridiculous faith. God can revive you, fresh faith. Romans 10, 17, how? Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. Nothing is impossible with God, do you believe that? In fact, you'll see God recover more than you lost, just as David did. This is what the Bible promises, I'm nearly done, when it says... We can more than conquerors through him who, who loves us. Romans 8.37. The Bible promises, I'll say it again. More, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. This is the question. Do we really, do we really believe that God will recover our stolen property? Or do we think our situation has gone too far? It's true, John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That means abundant life. The Bible is full of wonderful promises for the victory of us Christian believers. It says we can reign in life, Romans 5.17. It says in Romans 8.37, I've said it already, more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, always leads us in triumph, triumphal procession in Christ. Three things, reigning, conquering, and triumphing. Do you love that? You think think it's about doing, doing, but it's not. It's about receiving. It says in Romans 5, 17, please, don't don't, don't misinterpret me uh, by saying, what what do I have to do? Do I have to get on a spinning wheel? And do I have to get up uh, wee hours in the morning and really apply myself and work hard at this? No. You just have to do this. Disclaimer, right here, Romans 5, 17. Those who receive, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Psalm 18, 28 says, You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. You know, David, 
um, he wants to check on this church that he had a major party and he got run out of town after only three weeks on this one. There's the Thessalonian church and he needs to check it. He needs to send Timothy there to this church, to the C3, let's call it the C3 church. And, 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 and Paul, the Apostle Paul I'm talking about, we're talking about church health here. And, and what matters most to the Apostle Paul is not how many members they had. It's not about the building. It's not about the building. It's not how many people attend on Sundays. It's not about the offerings. Can they pay their bills? It's not about uh, the individual people. Uh, it's not about if they're swearing or drinking or carousing. And it's not about if, you're, if they're watching bad entertainment or sleeping around. It's actually about something way more important. And it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, it reveals this primary concern that Paul has. And he talks about, say the word with me, faith. Faith. Will I find faith there? See, he doesn't assume that Christians, because they're saved, that they have faith. Oh, they've got faith. They're Christians. No. He says, when you go to the Thessalonian church, find out if they've got faith. And he says it like this. Please, just go with me on this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you, it says in verse 2. Verse 5, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Verse 6, but Timothy has just now come to us from you, from C3 Tugger, and brought good news about your faith and love. Verse 7, therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Can you say it again? You've got to say it, guys. Faith. Verse 10, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Faith moves the heart of God. Faith moves the heart of God. See, people, Paul knew, but when seemed to have forgotten it, that when people break down in their behavior, backslide into sinful living, grow cold in the Lord, it is because of their faith that has broken down. When someone's temper flares up out of control, this is not the real problem. Don't, don't underestimate the fact that it's a lack of faith. So it is with our departures from right living. So that is why our burden at C3 Tugra is to see people living by faith, to see people built up in their most holy faith. God loves our worship. God loves us coming to church, but He loves, He loves this. He loves our faith. Get this. What was Jesus amazed at? Was He amazed at was there anything that impressed, in fact, to the point where Jesus said, wow, never in any chapter of the four Gospels was Jesus astounded by anyone's righteousness. Of course not. After all, He was entirely pure and holy Himself. Never was He impressed with anyone's wisdom or education. Never did He say, boy, Matthew sure is smart, isn't he? I really picked out a financial genius there. But He was amazed by one thing, people's faith. 
When he told the Roman centurion, he would go to his house to heal his servant. And the centurion said, not to bother, but just to speak the word of healing. Jesus was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. That sounds like he's getting a bit excited now. The Jewish leaders probably didn't appreciate being outclassed by the Roman. But that is why it happened. When another foreigner, Canaanite woman, came pleading on behalf of a demon-possessed daughter and wouldn't take no for an answer. Jesus explained at last, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Matthew 15, 28. On the other hand, when he went to his hometown, Nazareth, you know the story where he'd grown up. He could not do any miracles except lay his hands on a few sick people and see them healed. And he was amazed at the lack of faith Mark 6, 5 to 6. You can be sure no sickness was too extreme, no demon too powerful, the Son of the living God. But on the particular day in Nazareth, his hands were tied by their unbelief. Say unbelief. In fact, he laid down this statement as a first principle. In Matthew 9, 29, he says, According to your faith, it will be done to you. According to your faith, it will be done to you. Your best life will come according to your faith. Everything that you need in life will come according to your faith. God responds to faith. How do you get faith? You get divinely connected to God. You begin to worship Him, spirit and truth. Let's lift the music up right now. Our time is gone. But I know this, when you get dynamically hooked up by this communal with God, the communing with God and walking with God, when you understand His kingdom has come, His kingdom is at hand, when you begin to walk in this amazing arena, in this amazing realm, in this amazing atmosphere, when you begin to appropriate the blessings of God upon your life, that faith arises in your heart and that you're able then to appropriate more, more, more. Your life is beckoning you for more. There's breakthrough coming in your life. When Jesus sees your faith, He's going to reinvent you. He's going to bring you out of the darkness. He's going to bring you into the light. He's going to bring you into your best life. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.